Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futura Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Von Tone Quinlevin, CEO of Futura Health. It's been an especially eventful year for Coursera, a leading provider of access to higher education content and credentials from university and corporations around the globe. Coursera currently has 82 million learners and more than 200 university and industry partners. Jeff Majankolda, Coursera's CEO, took the company public in March. In addition, it issued yet another global skills report which draws on performance data from its learners to benchmark skills proficiency across business technology and data science across 100 countries. Jeff, you and I go back uh, and share Stanford Business School in common. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Vaughn, it is really a pleasure to be here and to see you again. And uh, yeah, it's amazing all these years. And here we are working together on important things. Wonderful. Now, Jeff, before you joined Coursera as its CEO, you founded an online investment um, technology company called Financial Engines. And as another data point, Western Governors University CEO came from Amazon. Is there a pattern that we should read into this in terms of looking at the future of higher education and higher education leadership? You know, the first of all, the founder of Financial Engines was technically Bill Sharp, who's a Nobel Prize winner and is far more brilliant and accomplished than I. So I was just the first employee and the founding CEO. And Vaughn, your question might be a little bit playful, but I think there might be a little something. And here's what maybe the little something is. We are learning as a global sort of business environment that there are certain business models, certain kinds of businesses that have an ability to speed and scale that are almost unprecedented. And this kind of a business model is a platform business model. And um, the, a platform business model is one where the company doesn't produce the goods. The company helps other people produce value and then gets a lot of consumers to come and then matches those consumers up with all those value producers. Amazon's clearly one of the best examples of an online platform marketplace. Coursera also is an online platform marketplace. And the neat thing about these business models, in my opinion, is when you have a huge problem with lots of variety, it's hard for any one company to solve all those different problems. But if you have a whole world of people creating, in this case, Coursera, creating courses and content and projects and degrees, they can solve a lot more problems because it's not up to Coursera to solve the problem. It's up to Coursera to create the community to solve the problem. And that's why we think so much about collaboration at Coursera. And so Jeff, because you have the bird's eye view to the community and the range of problems, what do you observe to be some of the biggest shifts in the online and skills learning landscape since the onset of the pandemic? Well, a few things. I'll start with the obvious and then hopefully get to something that's less obvious that will be more interesting to your audience. The obvious one is 1.6 billion students had their schools closed in April 2020. And so we saw a massive shift towards not just online learning, but online teaching. So every student was forced to try out online learning. Every teacher was forced to try out online teaching. Uh, I would say that there are pros and cons, clearly. I think people have learned that just turning on a Zoom camera and lecturing online for you know, hours can create a level of fatigue. But it also put a lot of focus on high quality asynchronous learning, which what we've been doing with our university partners 
on Coursera. So I, I'd say that number one was a huge experiment towards teaching and learning online. Uh, and we saw four or five times more people taking courses on Coursera in 2020. We grew from 47 million registered learners at the beginning of 2020 to 77 million by the end of 2020. So 30 million in one year, almost doubling. But the next major thing that we're going to see that I think is going to be a huge impact is not just working from home because of the pandemic, but the persistent and pervasive phenomenon of remote work. And what remote work is going to do, I think it's going to really complete the opportunity. On the one hand, online learning allows anyone anywhere to have access to high quality learning. I think remote work spurred on by the pandemic and digital jobs will allow almost anyone anywhere to have a range of job opportunities that they would never have had because those jobs don't have to be in your own city or your own state or even in your own country. That makes me curious for your even your staff and employees, how are you future-proofing the skill sets of your employees given this? It's a few things, you know, and it's sort of hard skills and soft skills. We're clearly hiring lots of software engineers, not just in the U.S., in the U.S., in Toronto, in Bulgaria, in India. We have a lot more data scientists. We are training everybody on data skills. I don't care what your job is. You must know data, basic statistics, how to read a chart, how to present data visually. I mean, that's the language of decision-making and communication is going to be data. So we're, we're doing a lot of that. But on the soft skills, it's even more interesting, in my opinion. Uh, we decided at Coursera that once we shifted to, to work from home, which we did on March 6th of 2020, we decided we would never require people to come back to an office. On that day, we said, if we try to do that, employees will quit. They'll go to some other company that's going to offer more flexibility. So we're going to beat them to the punch and we're going to offer the flexibility. It was kind of easy when, every, when everybody was in the office. And it wasn't even that hard when everybody moved online. But when some of the people start moving back to office, but others do not move back to office, that I think will be the hardest management challenge. And so part of future-proofing our workforce is a combination of hiring from a global talent pool, not just people who live next to an office, and teaching managers, how do you manage a distributed remote team globally? Mm, what a great insight. And that's a good segue to your global skills report. Tell us more what you're seeing um, on the global front. So where this report comes from is that we have hundreds of millions of course enrollments. When you take a course, you actually have quizzes in the course and, and, and tests and things. And we can actually see who is getting the questions right and who's getting the questions wrong. And then you can start making inferences about whether they know something and at what proficiency level they know it. And so a lot of this global skills report simply comes from how proficient are learners on Coursera from a certain country at a certain kind of skill. You know, whether that skill is Python programming or web development or blockchain. Uh, and, and then what we do is we just look at the proficiency of all the students and we say, where do they live? And then we create a ranking of countries based on the proficiency of learners in that country in a certain domain. Now, what have we seen? You know, we have seen, first of all, that the top skills that people are interested in fall in three categories, business skills, technology skills, and data science skills. That's just seems to be, that's at least on Coursera, that's what a lot of people are coming and looking at. And then we have a ranking of 
what are the top skills in each category that are most popular and people are looking for the most. And then, of course, we rank all these countries on those skills. The fact that Coursera has such a richness of, of content has allowed even Futura Health to be able to create novel partnerships um, and really unbundle and then rebundle coursework for many institutions in order to help communities pathway into healthcare jobs. For example, Coursera had the Google content and was helpful in bringing Johns Hopkins University to the table to create the healthcare context for these jobs. Um, I just wanted to express how appreciative we are for that partnership. Yeah, well, Vaughn, I mean, I, I, we are equally appreciative uh, and partly for the learners that we'll be able to serve together. When I say together, I mean Futuro and Johns Hopkins and Google and Coursera. But I think more broadly, what's exciting about this to me is, and, and it's part of that platforming that we had talked about, is once you get hundreds of institutions creating content on a platform, you can start recombining that content and creating institutional collaborations. So I think that what you are doing is really a model of what's to come, which is generally in the category of institutional collaboration. And so we think that this is a major part of what's gonna serve learners well is when you can get a university like Johns Hopkins that knows healthcare very well, and a company like Google who knows, who knows technology very well, and, a, and an institution like Futuro who understands the needs of an industry and the jobs available and the skills required, and can pull this together on a platform like Coursera that makes it broadly available and also very accessible. Uh, in terms of affordability. And so I think this is a model of where things are heading. In working with over 200 university partnerships, do you see more and more universities looking in this direction and, and thinking about stackable credentials? Totally, we see it everywhere. We have 160 universities and 60 industry partners, companies like Google. The universities are some of the most elite universities in the world. And so they have published together with the industry partners about 5,000 courses. We call that the public catalog. That's something that the public can come to Coursera.org and you can see all these courses. What's happening now though, I think is very exciting, is we've launched a, a product called Coursera for Campus. We did this in October, 2019. And it's for every university in the world, even if you're not you know, a Stanford or a Duke or a Yale or a Johns Hopkins, it's for, for any university in any country. And they can license these online courses and make them available to their students. Now you can say, okay, well, that's nice. You could license them like a textbook, but that's still just the elite universities providing content for all the other universities. And we say, well, wait a sec, we're gonna do something else. We're gonna let any of the universities, even the customers, author content as well. It won't be in the public catalog, but it will be privately available to all of their students. And then they're gonna start, they are starting to mix and match public content from top universities with content that they create themselves for their own students. This way you could really make it more custom tailored to the region. And so we think that there's gonna be a lot of mix and match, a lot of stackability where you could take courses from multiple universities and it will still count towards a credential like a college degree or a professional certificate. Oh, that's very interesting. So you're saying I could actually create a Futura Health catalog? Yes, so what you could do, in fact, you could do Futura Health, right? You could say, okay, there's 5,000 courses out there. I wanna curate um, you know, a few hundred of these courses to be available to my learners uh, in, in your institution. And then you can say, oh, by the way, 
I also want to build some of my own courses, which is free on Coursera. So you, we call it private authoring. You can author private content for your members, if you will, for free. And you can deliver it to your members for free. And you can even mix those things together. So there could be, say, a course from a top university or a Google, and then a hands-on project that you build that teaches individuals in the healthcare industry how to use a certain piece of software, maybe use for patient records, or how do you do a coding for certain types of pharmaceuticals. Uh, they could be custom projects that are paired up with public courses. So Jeff, if we look at the Strata Consumer Insight Gallup polls, what it indicates is that adults are very nervous about pursuing degrees at this moment in time because everything is in flex. So they're more attuned to doing skill development. Now, the concern is that people can get trapped into skills that then don't lead to the earning power of degrees. So how is Coursera thinking about degree attainment in the continuum of your portfolio? Well, it gets right back to what you were talking about, Vaughn, which is this notion of stackability, which which might sound uh, kind of not super clear, but when you think about the power of this, it's pretty incredible. So if you look, for instance, at that Google IT support certificate, we also have them from IBM, we have them from Facebook, we have them from Salesforce, and we have one coming from Intuit, we have one from Futuro. Uh, it starts with the job. So they say, okay, we want to figure out what's a high paying entry-level digital job where there's more demand for the job than, than a supply of talent. And then they say, all right, what skills are required to do that job? And can you learn them fully online? Then what Google did is they created a certificate program. It's a four-course series that assumes no college degree required and no prior experience in IT. And, and you can go through this program and get the skills to become an IT professional. Now, what's really cool about this is Google and Coursera have actually established a number of hiring partnerships. So companies who are looking for IT support professionals, so we can introduce them. We can say, hey, here's someone who just learned these skills to do this entry-level IT support job. Hey, I want to introduce you to a company who's looking for people to do IT support jobs. And so that, that creates what we call a career pathway. But Vaughn, there's another pathway too. We call it a degree pathway. So it turns out the way that we design this with Google if you finish the IT support certificate, not only do we help introduce you to the entry-level jobs, but for instance, the University of London looked at that Google IT certificate and the University of London has a, a Bachelor's of Computer Science on Coursera. It's an online computer science degree. They will actually award 12 units of academic credit from that Google certificate if you go and get a bachelor's degree in computer science. So earning that entry-level professional certificate is actually a gateway to a job and, and a gateway to a degree as well. Uh, on the University of London in this computer science program, there's uh, over 2,000 students studying for their bachelor's degree. 25% of them took that Google professional certificate to start with. So that's a wonderful stepping stone. You know, these professional certificates are a stepping stone to jobs and to degrees. Bravo, what a great model. I was particularly interested to see that despite the exodus of women from the U.S. labor market, women are pursuing online education at a higher rate than pre-pandemic. What do you make of that? Well, I think it's really one of the few promising trends that we are seeing. So to your point, we, we've definitely seen and it's been well publicized that the impact on women 
working women because of the pandemic has been far worse than on men. And it's far worse on non-whites than on whites. And so it's not everyone has borne the brunt of this pandemic the same. I think women often are faced with the challenge of doing work from home. And when the kids can't go to school, someone's got to care for them. And it often fell to the woman for, for a lot of reasons, which have a lot to do with you know gender roles and maybe earnings power. But a lot of it is also sort of just societal expectations and biases. What we saw at Coursera is even as women dropped out of the labor force, which is not a good thing for our country's prosperity, uh, we saw that the percentage of women on Coursera went up. The percentage of women taking course enrollments went up. So that if you look at the total number of course enrollments, it went from 42% of enrollments in Coursera from women in 2018 and 2019 to 55%. So it jumped 13 percentage points globally. And when you look at STEM, just the technical courses, the number of enrollments from women was 35% in 2019. It jumped to 47% during the pandemic in 2020. So more women on Coursera, more women taking more courses, and more women taking STEM courses uh, as a percentage of total enrollments than we saw before. So perhaps the future doesn't look so bleak if the women are actually scaling up to get these really high paying digital jobs. So what I'm hearing, Jeff, is that the Coursera platform is not only adult friendly, but it's also specifically female friendly in terms of the needs for flexibility. It is. And I will say, you know, if you think about a lot of institutions, now we're getting a little bit philosophical here, but institutions are created to serve, serve a certain kind of population. And often there's physical plants and logistics that go along with it. You could think of a college campus, you could think of a manufacturing plant, you could think of, a, of an office high-rise building. Those institutions don't always serve all prospective members of the institution equally. And what you realize, for instance, is one of the differences that's become obvious is there's, there's a greater parenting load that falls on women than men. So if there are institutional biases that make it hard for uh, someone to work, if they're also caring for kids, that's gonna hurt women. But Vaughn, another thing that we see is transportation. There are transportation inequalities as well. So when a community college says, or, or any college says, in order to complete this course, you need to drive to this place at this time and stay here for this number of hours, you know, that makes it hard for someone who doesn't have a car or is caring for parents or caring for children, or maybe they're working to support their family, sometimes multiple jobs. Online learning provides a lot more flexibility and affordability to serve more people who've not been served by the more traditional institutions. That, that's, that's my view of it. So let me close out here, Jeff, by um, asking you the question. You know, we have a lot of uh, workforce development professionals in our listener base. What advice do you give them as they think about the five-year and the 10-year timeframe and the future work? Yeah, there's a few highlights I would hit. What we saw during the pandemic obviously was a major tragedy. Many people died. Many people have been economically harmed. And so there's a lot that we need to recognize as the negative side of it. But there are a couple of promising openings that have been created. The opening to do online learning and job reskilling. We've worked with hundreds of government agencies now who had never really tried online reskilling programs and they're realizing that the cost, the scale, the flexibility, 
the affordability, the efficacy. There's a lot of value to doing online training. So the first thing I would say is online training and reskilling is a great toolkit for, for workforce development agencies that maybe they didn't really appreciate so much before. Another thing I'll just put out there too is a lot of people think when you say online, it means only online. It doesn't. We're working with many government agencies who are delivering online programs together with on the ground, face-to-face -face mentoring and peer support for certain populations. So everyone can have an online backbone and certain populations can also get the wraparound services to help the coaching. So they're not mutually exclusive at all. So that's one thing I'd say. Another thing I would say is, uh, and, and this might even be the more important one, my view from what I'm seeing at Coursera as an employer and what I'm seeing from a lot of other CEOs that I know, jobs, many jobs, especially digital jobs, will be available remotely. And that means if you're trying to get people in your state employment, you have a number of reasons to look for online entry-level digital jobs. Now, there'll be jobs as plumbers. There'll be jobs to do a lot of things. And I'm not saying don't do vocational. But there's something very, very special about entry-level digital jobs. One is they pay well. Two is there's a lot of demand for these jobs. There's a lot of openings. Three, you can learn how to do them online at very low cost. But four, these jobs will be available to people in your state, even if the jobs are not available in your state. And I think that is a complete game changer and it opens up all kinds of opportunities. Thank you so much for your insights, Jeff. Uh, wonderful to have you today. Vaughn, it's always a pleasure and I'm so glad to be working with you guys. I'm Vontone Quinlevin with Futura Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm -hmm.